This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. memo for you. If you're living in the greater Toronto area, you have access now to the Ontario One Fair program. Uh, They're implementing this later this month, starting February 26, 2024. Customers paying with a Presto card, Presto and Google wallet, or a debit or credit card tap, physical or one in a mobile app, um, will be able to transfer for free between TTC and surrounding transit systems like the brand Brampton Transit, Durham Region Transit, Miway and York Region Transit. Also, if you're a TTC customer paying single ride fares connecting to and from Go Transit, you can benefit from a fare discount. So your TTC fare will be the one subsidized, uh, aka free. The program applies to youths, adults, post-secondary students, seniors, as well as TTC Fair Discount Pass customers, like CNIB customers. So if you want to learn more about the program, because there are a lot of details on how to tap on, how to tap off, I'm not going to uh, go through all that right now, but you can go to ttc.ca and find out more. It seems to be very exciting. Um, a lot of the... Um, government seems to be quite excited about offering this to people in the GTA. So let's get on it. Let's learn more and uh, get some discounts in. All right. It's Kelly and Ramia. And we, as I said before the break, are going to get into a bonus headlines with Grant Hardy. Grant joining us on a Tuesday to fill this spot. Usually we're talking to our friends from W. Ross McDonald at this time. But Grant, uh, we want to know what you're bringing to the table. How's it going? Thanks fine as come to the headlines segment i tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech i have it all right here on kelly and ramia my bad what the heck are you new here (laughs) my bad all right that's the formal introduction to grant and and it sounded like grant was getting the hook for a moment like are you kidding we're gonna play your audio be quiet me or the recorded me sorry grant okay usually Uh, you you gave me an extra five minutes to you know shut or an extra five seconds to like shut my eyes you know take a little take nap, a nap like, a like an MRI nap oh my god five five minute power I'm very uh, how many coffees uh, so far today Grant oh, not enough today so oh no wonder five, okay five, but you Olivia he wasn't prepared because Mondays and Wednesdays you'd be prepared with your eighty coffees or whatever but exactly. it's a Tuesday exactly yeah, all right he doesn't have enough juice. <laughs> Yo, we're going to get into transit a little later, actually, speaking of transit. Okay. Uh, first of all, though, just really quickly, uh, as you teased before the break, as climate change uh, is a reality now, no longer a theory, but it is here, uh, scientists are actually exploring uh, how to better communicate hurricane danger to the public, which may include adding an extra category of hurricanes to the commonly used scale can you believe that so the current maximum on the uh hurricane wind scale is category five uh-huh. uh, and that's basically just open-ended to any storms greater than 252 kilometers per hour of wind however a new uh peer-reviewed study published in Envi- environmental sciences this monday uh 
said that storm data between 1980 and 2021 found five storms that would have actually been classified as a, a higher category on the scale uh, if they added a category six. Uh, and as the most of them are concentrated in the final nine years of that period, so mid-2000s kind of. And as mm. the uh, world continues to get hotter, more moisture in the air, it is going to be more fuel for hurricanes mm. and is likely to be a greater proportion of intense storms. However, wow. that would require approval from the United States government, and they are not really in favor of that. They're saying more that we should just communicate individual hazards to people rather than uh, overemphasizing wind speed, quote unquote. Mm. So it kind of makes me wonder, how can we best communicate about hurricane danger, especially for people in marginalized communities. Wow. Oh. Wow. Well, Good I'll question. be honest with you. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong if it's the truth of the matter, Grant, and it's going to be the equivalent of a Category 6. But I know when I wrestled in high school, you went to 180 pounds, and the rest was heavyweight after that. It didn't matter if you were 800 <laughs> pounds, right? So I don't think it, it matters. But I do think it matters. I serve. High wind likely to cause this kind of damage, which, again, causing this kind of harm to human beings and, and, and life. So I yeah, do exactly. understand the value and the emphasis saying, hey, it's a Category 6. Well, we may not worry as much if all ships are out of the area that that storm's going to in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, where it not, might not necessarily do harm, but it could be in a position where some of the land far enough might get tidal waves. So it's a tidal wave mm -hmm. risk. Those kinds exactly. of things I think are important to know. So I do understand. At first, I was about to say, why is the U.S. holding out? A, uh, you know what? Maybe this makes sense. Yeah, I actually kind of dig your wrestling analogy because, I mean, at the point where they're heavyweight athlete, I mean, they're going to flatten me in 0 0.5 seconds versus 0 0.4. It doesn't guess... matter their weight, right? You're going to exactly. be one, two, three, I'm done. Is, is it 0 0.5 seconds that they're going to flatten me or 0 0.4? And I think that's essentially it with the hurricane. Like, are you going to be taking extra precautions if it's six on the scale or five? Really, it's about just communicating those yeah. individual hazards and what people can do about it. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are kind of talking about transit. Wow, it's amazing. You guys have to maybe tap off where you live. That was a very... Uh, or go and stuff? Yeah, you do. That well, was, before. Uh, was a really oh. interesting issue here. And we actually do not have to tap off, which is uh, interesting. Although it also messes up their stats because they don't know where people are getting off. Mm. Uh, However, we did have a transit strike in January, which coincided along with some pretty crappy weather days as well. Uh, and, and it turns out that with uh, transit, the amount of people who use it to get to work grew from 11% two decades ago to 15% in 2021, according to data analyzed by the uh, uh, from the census data. But what's also interesting, which we could have guessed, is that reliance on transit goes up as workers' salaries go down. Uh, and so it talks about a lot of very supportive employers helping people get to work, whether that's you know free taxi vouchers or uh, in the case of care aides and other people who look after seniors uh, that could have that sometimes involved using buses that are used to transport seniors to events uh, or even the employer driving 
people to work mm. uh, to visit seniors who were very stressed out and uncertain by the strike. So essentially what they're asking is, should transit be made an essential service? And I tend to personally think workers 100% have the right to go on strike. And I'm not even saying it should be them in particular that has to drive the transit. But I do think that somehow, some way, the government should make access to transit, especially for people with special needs, seniors, essential workers, maybe even everyone, essential. However they do it, whether it's rebates on taxis, uh, I mean, I don't see that happening, whether it's supervisors driving the transit, however they do it, it's really essential to have that. When you say essential, you're talking about making it free for the public, making, the general no, making public? Making it an, an no, essential go on strike. Oh, okay, like okay, just in terms of strikes then. All right, right. I got you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's tough because there's so much trickle effect. There's, as you said, right, what does this mean for the people working at transit? It could mean a huge shift in what an employee of any kind of public transit um, is expected of, number one. And then in Toronto, because I can't necessarily speak to other specialized transits around the country, but in Toronto, TTC, a.k.a. public transit, covers... Um, specialized service for people with disabilities and seniors, right? That's called wheel trans here. And you get door-to-door -door service majority of the time. So then it affects uh, the taxi services and companies associated with that side of things. It, it, because you're, you have collaborations and partnerships, not just working under TTC as a TTC employee. So I'm thinking, then how would that work, right? Like, there's just so much... If you have a good transit system, I'm just loosely using the word good, um, then you have these partnerships, you have these collaborations, because it takes a lot to run something efficiently like this. You need to have a bunch of coordination. But then how would this so, be affected? Yeah. So I think one potential issue is that not everyone qualifies for access 100%. Transit, um, 100%. And especially the people who don't are the people who maybe aren't making a lot of money, the people who are also doing essential work. Uh, not only that, but I mean, we have all the stuff we don't have to probably rehash again, but scheduling in advance yes. and taking a longer. Uh, I, Payment. Yeah, it's a tough one. Exactly. It's deal? a tough one because you don't want to infringe on people's rights that need to go on strike. I do, however, think somehow, some way, transportation should be an essential service that cannot just be shut down, mm -hmm. except in the case yeah, of Yeah, this is one of the ones I've had a real pet peeve. I've watched it. I've lived through it here in London when the transit went on strike. I think it is an essential service, just like the fire it and is. police. I Even don't if it's think not, we should. treat it like it is. Well, and it affects exactly. too many people otherwise, but but... On the other hand, I understand the union, the strength of union, and there has to be a way to ensure these folks are protected so they can speak out, but also annual raises and, and mechanisms have to be put in. It. We have to bite the bullet and, and meet them halfway. If we don't want them striking, right. we have to accept as a society that needs them that you're going to be paying that little more that you're not going to understand that maybe oh, yeah. they have certain rights that others don't as the police fire and that. You have to because these people are out there jeopardizing them and going against the positive. They've, hey, we need a little of this and that. Well, you can't strike. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
They have exactly. to be able to have a mechanism. And um, just one more thing to add in there too is oftentimes we we talk about this you know bigger picture scenario like let's make this an essential service. Okay, cool. But you know have we worked out the details of what that feels like and sounds like and pay and negotiation all this stuff beforehand? Because that stuff takes forever to implement. Like we in Toronto took forever just to get on board with Presto and using Presto. Now it's normal, but the amount of time it actually took to make Presto the you know baseline uh, was years. Yeah. yeah and I think most of it is because it's so hard and it's just, you can't, it's the blanket statement as we talked about, oh, well, this go, this is good for everyone. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> not necessarily for everybody Trial and every periods. resource. Exactly. Who's going to be able to manage this and who isn't um, when it comes to this stuff? Uh, yeah. Grant, we have about a minute. Yeah, uh, we have an intriguing uh, our, uh, topic related to AI. I don't think we quite have time for it today. I think this might be a good uh, yeah. point to wrap. Uh, but yes, absolutely. In terms of working out those essential service protocols for transit, uh, I think it would just end up being like the, uh, you know, people working at a hospital, for instance, or, mm. you know, there's other essential services uh, where you would just have to maybe not even have a more limited service. They don't really do that in hospitals. That wouldn't work. But, no, you know, have, but... have some people spend part of their time picketing while other people are working and still doing mm. all that. Yeah, it, well. It's the danger, right? It's the danger it could put in. You know, even if you take buses off between 11 a.m. And, and 2 2 p.m. So people still can get there for rush hour and you're not stopping people at nighttime from being able to, you know, where they have to walk in the dark, uh, you know, at a time when it may not be a good idea. And because that's where you do get into putting people in jeopardy. That's actually a brilliant idea. I hadn't even ever thought of that. But yes, exactly. Keep to prime hours or, or whatever those are. Guys, always fantastic to come on and talk about all this cool stuff with you. Yeah, Thanks, very thought-provoking. Thank you. Thank you. Grant Hardy joins us on Headlines, usually Monday and Wednesday, and when I'm not getting thrown off, on a Tuesday as well. <laughs> uh, on the first Tuesday of every month, we like to check in with our friend Lucia Belafonte for a parenting chat. Today, she's bringing on a guest, and we're talking about uh, being adults with disabilities and continuing to feel motivated to achieve our dreams. We'll be back with that on Kelly and Ramia. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.